Welcome to the Radio Plasma podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Today, I want to welcome Jacqueline Velez. She is representing Neighbor to Neighbor, and we're going to talk about all the work that it's been going on for the past months and some exciting news about all this work. Jackie, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's start a little bit about you, because okay. Neighbor to Neighbor, it's been a presence in our local community, but recently it's been your engagement, the one that has been making things happen lately. Before getting to know about this great news that you have, also I want for people to know who you are, because your story itself is an example of the work that you're doing right now with Neighbor to Neighbor. Oh, sure. Um, well, it started back in Brooklyn. I was born and raised there. Uh, growing up, you know, life was hard. My family was extremely poor. My mom was a single mom. My father, you know, disappeared uh, shortly after I was born. And my mom raised me and then had two more kids. By the time I was a teenager, going into my teenagehood in the late 80s, early 90s was very difficult. You know, the crack epidemic had already hit. Uh, relatives, friends were, you know, of, of family members were strung out on heroin or crack. So the police presence in the neighborhood became a norm, right? I didn't really notice it when I was younger, but as a teenager, and, you know, I started to be affected by that and bothered, right, and scared of the police instead of feeling like they were there to protect us. I joined a gang, and I end up, you know, getting in a lot of trouble as a teenager. I even dropped out of high school in the ninth grade. Um, by the time I was 16, I was pretty much an out-of-control teen. And then I had my daughter around 19. No, I got pregnant at 19 after I was with her father for a while. I gave birth to her. I almost got killed because I got stabbed several times in the street due to the gang stuff, right, that came back. And then my daughter's father was murdered, so I lost a lot in the street. And then, um, you know, a few years had passed, and I tried to be a single mom and get out of the gang life and everything. And while I was doing that, I end up getting in trouble because I ran into a friend who I asked if I can do a favor for him in exchange for money, and I end up being in jail. I got bailed out, and then I had to make some decisions and think about how was I going to move forward. But losing my daughter was not an option. So I had to make some arrangements, knowing that I had to go into jail and there was no way around it. I did have a record, so I had to do time. There was no, you know, here's probation and just go home. So I... um I made the arrangements. Uh, the first time I went to jail, I was 17. So they looked at all that, and it was like, oh, she's you know a troublemaker. Let's just send her to jail. At the time, my daughter was eight, and I was 28. And then um, when I came out, I, I decided that I'm not going to ever put my daughter through something like that, like coming to visit me in a jail. That really hurt me a lot, and it something clicked for me when she came to visit me because the whole visit, 
she sat in my lap and just smelled my neck and she would not allow me to look at her or speak with her because I wanted to know what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And the officer noticed that, so she let the visit be longer. So a visit on Rikers Island is about an hour long and um, she let it be for three hours and my daughter stood in my lap, smelling my neck for three hours. So I said, I can't do this anymore. And when I came out, I looked for ways to get involved, to volunteer. Um, and I ended up volunteering for an organization that did policy advocacy work. Um, and that's how I came to the work. How you started getting involved with Neighbor to Neighbor here in Holyoke? I moved to Massachusetts about uh, two and a half years ago. I had heard of it because I, I'm a person that does a lot of research and I'm a very resourceful person. So I actually was working for Gandara at the time when I first moved here. Uh, I did that for four months, but the desk job, nine to five thing really wasn't working for me. And I, I felt like my son was still small, so I should stay home with him a little bit longer before I send him to school. So I um, stopped doing that and I just went to school for a little while and then a friend told me about a position that was opening a neighbor to neighbor. The name of the position was political organizer and I'm like I've never done that before although the work was political I didn't look at it in that sense so um, once they gave me the rundown you know I felt it was uh, I made an offer it was an offer I couldn't refuse Um, I loved the work that they were doing, very grassroots, and it was even more grassroots than the work I did before because coalition building is different from membership-led organizations, right? Neighbor to Neighbor is also a power organization. So we work to empower community members that become our members and then become leaders in their own right. For people that are not familiar with the work that Neighbor to Neighbor is doing, especially In our community here in Holyoke, can you explain, describe a little bit of what what is happening? Sure. Um, neighbor to Neighbor works on various issues, and it's usually issues that are pressing at the moment. But we work on criminal justice reform, immigration. We've worked on environmental issues. So Neighbor to Neighbor was re responsible for having the, so the Mount Tom coal plant closed, which was one of the last in the state. And that was causing a lot of like asthma amongst residents and they didn't even know about it. In addition to the environmental, um, we work on elections. Neighbor to Neighbor has a 501c3 and a 501c4 status with the IRS. They're two different things, but it just means that with one, you do things like educate community members, right? And the other one, you can endorse a candidate and say, we stand behind this candidate because he stands for our values and our beliefs. And, you know, he works on the issues that we care about most. In this case, who might be some of these uh, political figures that are being supported or recognized by neighbor to neighbor as advocates and supporters of the work you do? Well, uh, we also have a chapter in Springfield, so <laughs> I'd mention Adam Gomez, city council, city councilor for um, Jesse Letterman, uh, Nelson Roman here in Holyoke. We've endorsed Juan Anderson Burgos, Rebecca Lisi. So those are just some of the people that we've endorsed, but those are the most recent that come to mind. So at the beginning of this conversation, I was mentioning that you have some news to share, and this is something really important 
to let people know about. I'm pretty sure many people already know, mm -hmm. but this is something that everybody must be aware because it has a powerful impact and it should make everybody aware of the needs and the change that must happen because of this new information that you have for us. Well, currently, the Senate and the House are working out the last snags of this criminal justice reform package that would include eliminating some mandatory minimum sentencing for drug offenses. Of course, they added some, right, that involve fentanyl and carfentanyl, uh, which is basically a synthetic that's used and people, you know, overdose by consuming this product. But they've eliminated the fee, right? When you're on parole and you come out, you have to pay fees to the state. They've removed that for a year for anyone that comes home on parole. They've also removed fees for people on probation for the first six months upon them re-entering society. They've also raised the felony theft threshold from $250 to $1,200, which basically has not been changed in 30 years. $250 can, stealing something that costs a little over $250 could be an iPhone, a kid stealing an iPhone, right? A phone costs six, $700 and they'd have a felony which would follow them into adulthood. There's also youthful, um, youth expungement provision to the bill, which means that young people can seal their record once they've reached a certain age. They've also, one thing they didn't give us that we were interested in getting was the savings that they would get from less incarceration to be put into a trust fund so that money can be used for training people with obstacles such as a criminal background, right? And job creation. But they did not include that in the final bill. And in terms of other provisions, there's also bail reform, omnibus bill which means like people that cannot afford to pay their bail would not be forced to be in jail due to that circumstance, right? So I think it's really comprehensive and coming from New York and looking at the contrasting differences, Massachusetts has done some work that is not even thought of in New York yet, right? Because in New York, you cannot seal a record at all. So the Cory reform is included with that, which means that uh, people that have a criminal background were able to seal their record after 10 years, but now it's seven, right? Mm -hmm. And that's for felony convictions. For misdemeanors, uh, they went down from, I believe, from five to three years. So that eliminates barriers, right? It's, as an advocate, not the best thing that we would advocate for, but it's better than what we had before. So most of these provisions are gonna benefit people that are re-entering society and the mandatory minimums would uh, affect people that are going into prisons, right? Because usually the judge in a courtroom should be the neutral arbiter, and it's not. The prosecutors have the power in those cases, and they're gonna go for giving you as much time as possible. I mean, there's people that have been in prison since the 80s for one crack vial, right, that are still doing time. So, you know, this is a really big, comprehensive change, and I think it would benefit many people, not to mention that taxpayers pay for people to be incarcerated annually, right? And it's a lot of money. Like, last I heard in New York, it was like $65,000 a year to incarcerate an individual. I'm not really sure of the amount here in Massachusetts, and I'm sure it's not as high, but it's probably close to that. And it grows every year. 
right? Because you have to provide medical care. You have to provide their necessities like Kotex and tampons and what have you. The medical care alone is exorbitant in its costs. So I'm really happy to see that they're taking this step. But now, once the House and the Senate finalize this, it's going to go to the governor's desk. And people will have to email and call to, to assure that the governor will sign the bill. But it seems to us that he will because the House and the Senate came to this agreement and these negotiations, and they've been doing this for months. So the only thing we want is for the governor not to amend the bill or make changes or carve out, you know, certain populations from those, you know, exclude them (laughs) from these changes. Yeah. And I was curious about that part, because when you were mentioning that prosecutor could determine how long that sentence could be. I'm pretty sure that there's there's some disproportion about the demographics who gets the longest sentences, right? Yeah. I'll give you an example, right? People were getting longer sentences that were caught with crack cocaine, right? But people with cocaine were not. And crack is something that's cheaper, right? So people that have less means would, you know, end up using crack cocaine opposed to cocaine. And so that in itself is is a racist way of dividing things, right? And not being fair and causing it to become disproportionate. Yeah, that can be perceived black people. Can be perceived as um, one of them being the high-end product that only people with the economical power to afford mm-hmm. will be able to get compared to other groups with more clear disadvantage. So it's good to see that now many of these considerations are going to be more proportionate to the reality of decisions made on, on, mm-hmm. on this. I know that for some people it's hard to know, to see, to even understand why this is a good thing. But the reality is, especially when we talk about youth mm-hmm. that get access and misinformation and that leads for them to make and take wrong decisions. And this will happen to any youth in any circle, in any level. And sometimes for one silly mistake, they can end up ruining their lives Mm -hmm. entirely. By having an outdated system, that makes even worse for them to have any possibility to amend the consequences of these mistakes to improve and actually do better. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we add the disparity and the disproportion of how it is applied to our certain groups against others. I mean, it's no surprise why some communities are so affected by it that basically they can't ever get out of this circle. The cycle, yeah, continues. Well, the Springfield chapter of Neighbor to Neighbor is working on a campaign that would address um, the school-to-prison pipeline issue, right? So kids are in school, but they have police presence, right, in all 26 schools of Springfield. The city actually spends $1.7 million annually to have the cops in the schools, right? But they don't have any training, right? Not, Not training to actually watch over our kids, right, that may have disabilities or learning, you know, issues or issues at home, right? And they don't really know how to deal with it. So we're proposing that they actually provide these school resource offices with training, right? With social work type of background because 
they need to deal with our children in a different manner because they deal with different issues, right? So kid, something could be wrong at home and they'll go to school and act up, right? But they don't really find out why are they acting up and is there a way that they can help so that they can change the child's circumstances in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Oftentimes, they'll arrest a kid and it doesn't necessarily mean that they did something that no other kid would have done, right? Like, let's say they had a fight with another kid. They're going to arrest both of these kids. They're going to give them criminal records, right, at their age, when then that this is going to follow them around throughout life. And it's not something they're thinking about. Their brain is not even fully developed, right, where they can actually think about the consequences when they commit or do something, right? Like, they can't think of what's going to happen after. I'm going to jail after, or I'm going to have a criminal conviction, which is going to stop me from pursuing higher education, an apartment, a job, a home, credit, all that stuff. Like, it affects so many different aspects of a person's life. It can make someone hopeless, right? At some point, when I was in jail, I would cry endlessly. And a counselor literally slapped me across the face and she was like, you need to, you know, snap out of it because your life is not over, right? And instead, I didn't wallow in my pity. What I did was try to build off of that strike against me, right? That strike that everyone looks at and I actually turned it into a positive, but this was later in life, right? When I was younger, something happened to me as a child that I didn't know how to deal with and no one around me knew how to deal with, so I acted out. I joined the gang. I felt they loved me more than my own family, right? They couldn't understand me or what I was going through. So there has to be some type of mechanism to try to figure out what is wrong at home, right? That makes the children act that way, not arrest them for something minute, something that they, that in another community they wouldn't be arrested for. There might not even be a cop in another community that isn't poor or low income. So, you know, they have to reevaluate those things. You know, that's part of the reason why they have a campaign. They feel that they're preparing our children for prison instead of college. And oftentimes when a kid graduates from school, they can't even compose their own resume, right? But yet you have police in the school and you're spending $1.7 on that when they could be using those that money for so many other things that could benefit the children, right? So, yeah, there's many things that could divert children from doing that, but I don't think that they're investing enough money to do that. And not only the money, but the purposes of utilizing the resources. So I will just underline trauma-sensitive care. That's mm. what our community needs. I agree. Because when we understand why people do the things they do, and it's not justifying them, mm-hmm. it's understanding Mm-hmm. then we can identify the sources of these issues and work from the root. Yes. That long-term could make a more effective change and make youth and adults as well understand, yes, there are consequences for the actions we take, the decisions we make. But when we know, we before having to experience all that hell, hmm. that we know, there are reasons for it, and it's okay to address it. There is no shame. We can work better as a community, as a society, and help each other, and not having to submit our youth to feel oppressed, being oppression, their first experience they get from school. I completely agree. 
there's so many changes that could be made, right? And that would heal communities, right? Even in its infancy, right? Because they're so young. And those children are going to be our leaders, right? So we need to nurture them, right? We need to take care of them and make sure that they have the things they need. And currently, it's not really that way. And our tax dollars pay for the schools, right? So we should have a say in how those schools operate. And their excuse would pretty much be events like 9-11 and all these school shootings, right? So like with the Springfield thing, they addressed in a memorandum of understanding that we worked with um, and developed with the ACLU to state in the memorandum of uh, of understanding between the school department and the police department what is an arrestable offense? Because when you examine the, me- the current memorandum of understanding, it does not specify what is a reason for arresting a child. It's almost like it's at the discretion of the school resource officers, which is not right. So we actually gave them the legal language to adopt into their memo and adopt it, and they did not. And this happened last year. My coworker, rest in peace, Jafet Robles, worked hard on that. And we did not find out that they were going to vote on it till the day before. Why are these practices, why are these things not accessible to the general public? Why is everything like that that concerns our children be done behind closed doors? And then, you know, we had a whole bunch of members at the city council in Springfield last, I believe, May or June. And they actually blatantly voted no. And I just could not um, believe what I was hearing. But, you know, now the Springfield chapter has taken that back on, and they're going to address that and try to get it implemented this year. There was some learning done (laughs) since last year. I would also be remiss if I did not mention that uh, this win, this criminal justice reform package, means a lot not just to neighbor to neighbor, but like to Jafet Robles' family and his children, uh, because he was convicted under a mandatory minimum drug sentencing and spent six years in a federal penitentiary because of it, right? And his mom was, you know, making the trek to the prison with his two small children, right, on a weekly basis for six years, which is insane, right? And then he came home and eventually started working in in trying to fight against these systems of oppression and try to dismantle the whole prison industrial complex thing. So the elimination of the mandatory minimum drug sentencing passing is actually a win, but it's a bittersweet thing because now he's gone, right? And behind gun violence, which is the same thing that the Parkland school children just tragically experienced. So now part of the work of Neighbor to Neighbor is to keep engaging with the community and create this awareness. There is an upcoming event that is also another of the reasons that you are here with us today. Could you let us know what this event is going to be? Well, we've been door knocking for the last few weeks trying to spread the word, um, let the businesses know that we're going to host a legislative breakfast on Wednesday, April 18th from 8.15 to 10.30 at 413 Main Street, which is El Mercado. We're going to have some city councilors there present, as well as the school committee, three people from the school committee. So we'll have the school committee present as a body and each city councilor to present individually to let us know what are their legislative priorities 
three to five, right, depending on the time allotted, <laughs> to let us know what what are their priorities, right? Will they say the same things they said when they were on the campaign trail, right? Are they going to actually deliver what they said they would? It's not, you know, an attack or anything. We just want to hear them out to know, right, if our, our beliefs and our values align, right? And I think they do, but it's good to know what they are working on so we can figure out how to work to accomplish these things together opposed to working in silos and working separately. Because even though I work for neighbor to neighbor, I need a city councilor to help me to pass, you know, certain ordinances and things of that nature. I worked with closely with Nelson Roman, who introduced a ban the box measure back early in 2016, and it's about to become law of the land. What Ban the Box would do is eliminate on city applications the question, have you ever been convicted of a felony, right? Because then they can decide not to even call you in for an interview, but you never even walked in the door before you even had the opportunity to let them know of your qualifications and how badly or passionate you are about this specific job. So I, I commend the city because they're about to adopt that. It is state law, but it, I think it strengthens the law when each city adopts its own version of it, right? So they may have or add their own stipulations or amendments, right? And it may be, it may differ, but the fact that they're going forward with that, I, I really commend Holyoke for. And also when we all are aware of these changes taking place, now we know that moving forward, if someone doesn't follow accordingly, well, then we have to question it. We have to call it because yes. now this is something that has been officially established as the way to do things. So it is important to know all these changes happening. And like you were mentioning, having city councilors to talk a little bit about what they are doing, what are their priorities. Yes, it's not a negative thing to put them on the spot. It's basically accountability. Checks as a matter, and balances. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's great that we have many testimonials from the campaign last year with many of the world candidates that were here in this studio mm. talking about uh, their campaigns. So it will be a nice exercise follow of follow-up <laughs> and check what has been going on mm -hmm. now that they are elected or re-elected mm -hmm. and doing the job for the past months and see where we are. Exactly. And also community members can figure out how they can pitch in, right? If they know what they're working on, they can, you know, um, volunteer their services. Who knows, right? But bringing them together is, to me, crucial because we need to know what we what each one cares about, right? So the, that event is just the first of several that, you know, Neighbor to Neighbor will be hosting because we're trying to bring community more into the space, right? Um, they elect the officials or the votes, the times that they don't vote also may help to elect uh, a candidate. So trying to get them to be engaged more, you know, we can accomplish a lot more. So this breakfast is happening on April 18th. That's a Wednesday. Yes. At 8.15 in the morning. This is going to happen at El Mercado, uh, 413 Main Street in Holyoke. And 
the kids will be off from school, so you can bring your kids along too. <laughs> exactly. That I was going to mention is during the spring break, so there is a perfect opportunity for community to come together, to talk, to mingle, to know each other if that, didn't, that hasn't happened yet because mm -hmm. for different reasons, sometimes there is not enough time or opportunities to interact with each other as community and as neighbors. So yes. this is a really great opportunity for that. Um, and Jackie, thank you for for organizing this event. Thank you We so are going to also be there to document it and have it as an another piece of the narrative that our city is having so we can compare with whatever transpires during this breakfast compared to the campaigns what has been done or and not. we can see what's changed <laughs> thank you johan for having me oh absolutely anything else jackie you would like to add um well in may i haven't solidified the date but i'm gonna host a quarry cleanup event where people would come in and we'd help them through the process of cleaning their quarry, right? Which is the criminal offender record, record. information or whatever. I, I want to, you know, put it together so people, people look at their record and they might, you know, it might overwhelm them to see, you know, and, th and I realize that they can seal some of those things and they can also clean errors because oftentimes on a criminal record, there are errors. So you may be discriminated against for something you didn't even do. You know what I mean? Um, and the things that you have done that you can seal would not allow them to, to view it. So I think that's a really good um, opportunity for people to come down, also find out about the organization and the work that we're doing, but do something even bigger than, than that, which is to get their lives back on track. It's really hard. And me as a person that's formerly incarcerated, who had a felony, who's been in jail, like arrested five times throughout my life, I know how hard that is, right? So if I did not If I didn't become passionate about working to help this particular population, then I don't know where I'd be working at, <laughs> you know? So other people are not uh, passionate about that. They may want to do other things. So I think that this would eliminate a lot of barriers and let them pursue whatever it is, you know, whatever it may be that they're allowed to under the new laws that are going to be enacted. How can people get in touch uh, with Neighbor to Neighbor, get uh, get a hold of you in case they need uh, information or they're sure. interested to know more about the work you're doing? I'll give you my phone number and my um, email address. Some people argue against doing this, but it's my cell phone. That's the best way to reach me. And that number is 646-683-1883. Again, that's 646-683-1883. My email is Jackie at n2nma.org. That's J-A-C-K-I-E at n2nma.org. Jackie, thank you so much for sharing with us, sharing your story, and make this story also the inspiration to help so many people in our community. And I can, I can say, not only locally here in Holyoke, I feel Springfield is getting the benefits of that, the, the work that, you, that you've been doing with, with Jafet, rest in peace. And also, I'm pretty sure even back in New York, people that see the example of what you have done and you are doing for others is 
an inspiration and a perfect way of saying redemption is possible. And I really appreciate and thank you all this work you're doing and being here sharing this information with us today. Well, I have to go now, but I appreciate it. I have to send a press release about the criminal justice reform. <laughs> the work never ends. Yeah, but I love it. This is Jackie Velez from Neighbor to Neighbor, the Hollywood chapter. And remember that breakfast is happening on April 18th at 8.15 a.m. at 413 Main Street El Mercado here in Holyoke. And for more information about Neighbor to Neighbor and all the activities happening, you can also visit the posting of this episode at radioplasma.com. Once again, thank you, Jackie, for being here. And this is the Radio Plasma Podcast. This episode was recorded and produced at the Plasma Media Lab here in the Gandara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Mass. I'm your producer and host, Johan Roshivega. Thank you for listening.